We're working through Romans. This is part 51. Knowing the urgency of each day. If you didn't get study notes or a prayer list, if you put your hand up, ushers will bring you some. They've got them there at the back. And that way you'll have it. Just keep it up till they reach you, though, because if you put it up and take it down, they can't just feel the vibe from that somehow. They have to see your hand, and they'll come and bring that to you. Knowing the urgency of each day, and the text is Romans 13. We made it to verse, 12, verse 10, and so we're going to pick up at tonight just 11, 12, 13, and 14. Those four verses. And I think there's great encouragement for our hearts. Warning and encouragement. That's usually the way the Bible presents almost every subject. Warning and encouragement, both. 13, 11. Besides this, so we know he's jumping into a continuation of a thought. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So you know he's using salvation in a bigger way than just the forgiveness of sins because you're, you're no more forgiven now or any other time than when you first came to Christ. So he's talking about something more, and you'll see that as the text unfolds. Verse 12. The night, the night is far gone. You can know that the world is dark without knowing this. We know the world's a dark place. We see the wickedness. But this isn't just saying that. This is the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor, the armor of the light. Notice armor. Not just the the way of light, the pathway of light, the kingdom of light, but armor of light. So there's something... There's something defensive in that. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Those are not the same thing. Sexual immorality is is sexual sin. Sensuality is just life governed by the senses. It can be physical food. It can be the, the, the things that appeal to the sensations of the body. Not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So here's what, I, here's what I take. When he says put on the armor of the light, I think that sins like, and it's not an exhaustive list, but sins like orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, jealousy. When he says put on the armor of light, I think what he means is all of those sins and others like them, they, they, they attack Okay, they, aren't, they, aren't, they aren't passive. They are aggressive sins, expansive sins. They draw people in. They, so you've got to have armor against those things or you're going to be beaten by them. And then he says, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm taking it to mean that those two are, are very similar. Putting on Jesus Christ, has, it's like putting on armor. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
we've been for uh, a little while launching from Romans 12, 1 and 2 into the practical stretch of the book of Romans, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, actually. So this renewed mind as it expresses itself in this present world. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, beseech you by the mercies of God, present your bodies, living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is good and acceptable. That, that whole thing, it's a summary of the rest of the practical instruction. So the motive of the renewed mind it's the mercies of God, 12.1. The method of the renewed mind, it's, it's the spirit and the word, the acts of a renewed mind. They get, they get manifested in these physical bodies of ours. So what does today's text add to this that's a bit supplemental, a bit different? And here's what I think it is. Spiritual truths concepts, even when they're embraced with uh, determination, passion, they have a tendency to, to turn vague and to grow a little bit numb over time. Note those words, over time, because I think that's exactly the issue Paul wants to address in today's text. He knows what time can do to our best intentions, our best commitments, our best habits. What time does. It It isn't just something that passes silently with no effect on our lives. Time, time Time is us. To know about time is to know about life, to know about spiritual life. And so these verses, 11, 12, 13 and 14 of chapter 13. They're all about they're all about a, a changing of a changing of times. They describe the the passing of time but but on a much grander scale than we than we usually measure by our, our Apple watches and our clocks and our, our calendars. They they it's it's bigger than that, a bigger time. The winding down of one age and the dawning of another age. And, and to Paul's mind, he, he really feels that this is something, as hard as it is for us to grasp, this is something we have to work hard to keep before our minds. Because, well, because there are no clocks that measure the passing away of one age and the entrance of another. There's no calendar that shows the passing away of one age and the coming of another. So there's no alarms There's no digital readouts. And because of that, the biggest time change of all, it can happen and and we can be totally unaware of it. We can not think about it. We can think nothing is happening. This, This, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. You can miss that whole thing. We watched a little bit, felt sorry for all those poor people trapped in Times Square on New Year's Eve. 
But for one brief moment, there's millions of people all around the world, and the fireworks go. And so everyone, everyone is immediately aware of a time shift, okay? It's obvious to everybody. But, but what if what Paul is saying, what if God's word is actually true? I mean, literally true. And the biggest change in your entire life, it's taking place between last Sunday and this Sunday. Where he, he says the gap between you and God's fully manifested kingdom grew significantly smaller last week. You're closer to it, he said, than you've ever been before. And, and that kind of sums up the number one job for the Christian. Here's what renewed minds have to do. Renewed minds stay alert to the rapidly diminishing distance between the night of this age and the racing dawn of God's kingdom. So Christians with renewed minds refuse to, they refuse to grow dull to this biggest shift of all that the whole world never considers. We, we get out of bed and we mark each day of our lives... By that glow on the, on the horizon, the, the dawning of a new age that's closer than it's ever been before. We're going to spend a few weeks unpacking the importance of this text. We're going to study what it means to live as renewed time people. All sorts of people, Christians, Jews, Muslims, even atheists, all sorts of people live with an appreciation of ethics and morality, trying to be better people. Almost everyone believes in the superiority of love over hate, goodness over evil. Almost everybody. But Christian people mandate their lives by God's view of, of history and the passing of time and the end of the story. You can, you can see how important all this is to Paul by the way he shapes his word. He doesn't just tell people, look, clean up your act. Don't be sexually immoral. Don't be perverse. Don't be sensual. Don't be drunk. Don't be involved in jealousy and fighting and arguments. He doesn't do that. When he talks about the kind of changes he wants to see in renewed minds and hearts, here's how he puts it, 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. That's the big deal. What's that mean? Walking properly as in the daytime. Well, then he says, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, jealousy. But it's not about sexual immorality, drunkenness, immorality. It's not about that. It's about the time change and how it affects the rest of your life. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Why not? Lots of people do. Why not gratify the desires? Why are they to live like this? What motivates, what propels that kind of lifestyle? Well, he says, it's, you know the times. You know it's, you're big picture people. You know where this is all going. They see one age with all of its wickedness, pain, pleasures and thrills, 
coming to a close. The night is far gone, far gone. Curtains coming down. No one else notices that. No one else thinks about that. But Christians do. And, 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 and they also, they, they hear something else stirring in the breeze. They don't see the full blaze, the full heat of the sun up in the sky. But they, they do see the sky starting to turn red at the dawn. And they aim their lives at the dawn because the dawn, where that is, Sunrise is coming. It's unstoppable. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Now, If those words are true, there's nothing more beautiful to know. And God's word says those words are true. So today, we're just going to look at the first two verses, 11 and 12. And then we'll spend probably two more Sundays looking at 13 and 14. So 11 and 12. Point number one. We all need to know the nature of the times in which we live. I say times, plural, because there are two things happening at once. Paul Paul says he draws together two ages and both of them press in on my life and yours. And then he tells us something important about each of them. We'll look at that in the second point. The first age is one, he says, of darkness and Night. When you, when you have this in mind, this age of darkness and night, it makes sense the way Paul started out Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then, and then these words. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, Christians are to have renewed minds. And then Paul tells us why it's so necessary and why it's so difficult. Here's why it's necessary. Don't be conformed to this world. I would, I would argue that most of us read those words without emphasizing the right one. Don't be conformed to this world. There it is. He clearly means there's another world that should shape us. Don't be conformed to this one. Why? Well, this one's far, it's far gone. <laughs> Don't let this one shape you. The curtain's coming down on this one. He means there's another one. There is this present world, and there's another one that isn't fully manifested yet. You just start to see the dawn faintly on the horizon. That future age is the one that should shape me. It should drive me. This one is dark. It's warped. 
It's mistaken. It's futile. Now, very few people in this age see their world like that. It all seems normal because it's all they've ever known. And so Paul says, it takes renewed minds to be aware of this. There's this world. Don't be shaped by that one because there's another one. But that's really all Paul says about the times in Romans 12. He just tells us that this age is dark and it needs to be shunned. Don't conform to it. Resist it. Now, our text in Romans 13, there he tells us something else. Not something negative, but something really positive. Don't be conformed to this world. He says there's, a, there's another age that is dawning. It's, it's already here, but not in its final form yet. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come. Wake up now. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So this, right now, it's time to wake from sleep. He says the day is at hand, verse 12. That's why we need to wake up. You You don't sleep in the night, maybe on shift work or something, but as a rule. You don't sleep in the day, you sleep at night. So so there's something dangerous about this present time. We still live in a world of night and darkness, spiritual pressure and threat. But there's also something very positive. There's, There's the opening burst now of morning light. And and so here's the important driving thought. The main reality for the Christian is isn't the night. The main reality is the dawn. We know about the night, but we're aiming our lives at the coming dawn. There's something dark in the night, but something incredibly hopeful in the dawn. Now, you don't have to be a genius to realize that this places all of us in kind of an awkward situation. Because we are really the only people, we're the only people on the planet Right here, Christians, who experience it in this world. We live in the overlap of two ages. We live between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. We live after the coming of God's kingdom has manifested itself in Christ, yet still the presence of sin and darkness and pain, it hasn't ended. We're we're right there. That's where we are. Now, Be clear of something. We live in two ages. We do not share two kingdoms. We can only have one king. Christ's rule is always a monarchy. That's what lordship means. And that's why Paul tells us in verses 13 and 14 that while while we live in this age of darkness, we must put on the armor of light, 13. We must put on the Lord Jesus Christ, 14. It's going to be trouble for us. Paul tells us what the tele-evangelists won't. This isn't going to be easy. We live in the overlap of two ages, but we can't plant our feet in two kingdoms. And so there's conflict and hope. But even that isn't Paul's main point. He's setting the stage and he wants to drive home a deeper point. Point number two. 
Now, we're, we're well underway now, so don't panic. What is it about these two times, these two ages, that should uh, motivate and inspire and fortify the Christian? And now you come to the nub of the text. Look at the words again, 11 and 12. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Think of an alarm going off. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So, working backwards through those verses, if you work from the end of verse 12 and back up to verse 11, we can see what we're supposed to do in that last phrase. Let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. That's where Paul wants to end up. But how does he get there? Or or specifically, what is it about these two ages, these two times, that would lead us to live the way Paul challenges? Now, I want to wrap up now with three truths. But we're not, we're not quite done. I've got a little bit of time yet. Three truths about the times that should inspire everyone in this room to put on Christ in a deeper and fuller way. First thing he says is, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, 12a. It's not, it's not something that's repeated over and over in the scriptures, but just hearing those words should put hope in all of our hearts. Satan is powerful. He's still called the ruler of this world. But with that, with that verse, the truth is out. Satan isn't just active. This is what I want, I want to try and get across. Satan is not just active. The text actually says he's, he's spending himself. He is using himself up. I'm not just waxing poetic here. The night is far gone. It's far gone. It's no secret that the days are dark. The night is long. Watch the news. See the violence. Look at the shriveled, starving faces of children. See the pornography. Look deeply at all the hatred, all the abuse. That the night is dark is no secret. But what we need to hear from God's word is, the night is not just dark, 12a, it's, it's far gone. Please hear the word of the Lord with a deep joy. I don't know how long the night will last. I don't know why it takes so long, except that the Bible says the Father awaits repentance from the stubborn. But we we are to encourage each other. We need to whisper in each other's ears this age of sin and misery and death. It's winding down. It's far gone, Paul says. The ice is melting. You can see the glow of the almighty risen Christ on the horizon of history. Time to wake up, Paul says. 
I said we need to say that kind of thing to each other because that kind of encouragement is exactly what we're urged to do in the New Testament. I was looking at Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, where the writer says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, faltering, losing strength. How do you do that? For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider, think about this, he says, How can you stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another? And listen, all the more as you see the day drawing near. So our text in Romans is about night and day. The writer to the Hebrews says, encourage one another. The day is coming. Morning. Morning's coming. To all who know the Strain that comes with pain and suffering, persecution. For everyone in this room who's felt the sting of bereavement, maybe you've stood by the grave of a loved one gone too soon. To all who long for the day when death itself will be bound and cast into the lake of fire, this is the word of hope. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, right there. Of course, we all know the Bible says things will get worse before they get better. But, but, but even here, the news comes with hope because we're, we're, we're told, do you know why things are getting worse instead of better? There's a pretty hopeful reason. It's spelled out in Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you In great wrath. Why? Because he knows that his time is short. The night is far gone. He is using himself up. He knows the night is far gone. He knows the sky grows red with the mighty power of Christ's dawn. He knows he can't stop it. And that's what causes his fury. His greatest misery and frustration is our greatest hope and joy. Once you see the dawn, as we saw it in Christ's incarnation, his death, his glorious resurrection and ascension, then no matter how dark the night still seems, you can't stop sunrise. You can't, can you? You can drive in your car and you see that. You ever have to go to the airport at some ridiculously early hour and and you're going to the airport and it's just pitch black? time you drop somebody off you're coming home and just as you're just as you're coming you're getting oh up somewhere to you know north of Kingside Road and and you you see the sun just there's a haze and a mist and the sun's coming up try and stop it just try and stop it once you see the dawn coming wake up the day is here that's the hope that he gives One more thing. He says salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Listen to this sentence. There has never been a time in the history of the whole world when a living Christian has been closer to the second coming of Jesus than you are. There has never breathed a human being on planet Earth in all of history who has lived closer to the second coming of Jesus than you are. 
says the Lord is the Lord at hand. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I'm not waiting for my forgiveness. I'm already forgiven. There's no condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not waiting for that. I already have that. I'm not waiting for those things. But I, I wrestle with my sin just like you wrestle with yours. I'm so tired of ever being drawn from my blessed Lord. I'm so weary of every minute of spiritual sloth and laziness. I'm tired of seeing Jesus through a glass dimly. I don't mean to take anything away from our worship team. I am not content just to sing about Jesus. I want to see him face to face. I want to see him. I want to be there. I want to be with him. That's what we're waiting for. And he says, that's what he means, salvation. doesn't mean my forgiveness. It's nearer now than when we first believed. It's getting closer every minute. The last thing he says is, it's time to wake up from sleep. You can, you can, this, sleep is a funny thing, isn't it? Told you the story. I'm, I'm pretty famous for some of the dreams that I have. It's a, sleep, it, it's not that you're totally unaware all the time. I, quite a while ago, I had this dream, and I was, according to my wife, I was kneeling. I'm kneeling in the bed, and I'm facing the headboard. So I'm on my knees with the covers kind of around my shoulders, and I'm facing the headboard of the bed. She's sound asleep, and all of a sudden I go, Home, home on the range. (laughs) Honest truth, ask her. She said, just go back to sleep. And I, sa- I said, Rini, I'm sorry, but people have to hear this. <laughs> so sleep, being asleep is not the same as being dead. There's a kind of limited consciousness you can have in your sleep. You can dream. Your dreams might be even very vivid and thrilling to all around. But the one who is sleeping doesn't have a grasp on reality. That's the point I'm trying to make. He doesn't have a grasp on reality. Even if he's entertained in his own twisted little mind, he's out of touch with what's real. Paul Paul says, the way you and I perceive what he's saying about the night being far gone and the day at hand, The way that registers, he says, that shows whether you're asleep or whether you're awake. People who don't light up their thoughts with this, who don't think about this all the time, who don't know what it is to have these truths, one of the central features of their lives, he says, they're sleepwalkers. And he says, you have to wake up. So Paul sees this big clock ticking. He sees the sky growing red in the east, and he says, look. If there was ever a time to be awake, to cast off the unfruitful works of darkness, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. If there was ever a time, you have more reason than anyone else who has ever lived. 
So, you know, there are different ways to sleep in church. Don't let it be this one. You know the times, he says. You know the times. And everyone said, 